0: Good to see everyone Uh, again. uh, I've got to make a confession. The last few weeks, ever since I got back from Korea, I feel like physically I'd still checked out. Uh, My body was still recovering, Uh, but thank goodness uh, I think I'm I'm okay now. Uh, So thank you for your prayers. Uh, We're having our Kids Connect uh, starting now, so say goodbye to the kids. All right, um, just a few things to touch on. Um, As Ollie came up and shared, uh, we've got the Women's Ministry Conference coming up in September. Uh, So if you are a woman and you haven't registered uh, and you're not doing anything that day, I encourage you guys to sign up, Um, not just because of the caliber of the speaker that we're bringing in, uh, but just it's a great opportunity to be with sisters and to be served by the men. And for the men in our ministry, uh, you saw what an awesome job the women in our ministry did serving us, uh, so time to give back. Um, and one more thing, uh, I had the privilege of uh, officiating a wedding yesterday uh, for Jacqueline, who just entered. Uh, yeah, so they got married yesterday, so if you do see them, please congratulate them. Uh, it was, I think I was just as nervous <laughs> as them. Um, yeah, but it was such a blessing to be a part of their their wedding, their special day, so thank you guys for letting me uh, be a part of your day, and yeah, congratulate them when you see them as they begin this new journey in their life. All right, so uh, we're going to take one more week away from Mark. I promise we're going to be back next week, um, but we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2. verses 28 to 29. Style of the sermon might be different. I'm not very a very big topical preacher, but First time for everything. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 to 29. And the word of God reads, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you once again uh, for everyone that's been able to join us physically today and those that are joining online. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we examine these, these short two verses uh, from the epistle of John, Lord, I pray for all of us, including myself, uh, to be able to sit under the full weight of the authority of John, John's words, because they're ultimately your words to us. And um, So Lord, I pray that you would watch over the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart as we unpackage this short passage, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I'm 37 years old, uh, still younger than some of you, uh, older than most of you, um, but I think In in the almost four decades of my life, I've come to realize that there's not many things that are guaranteed in life. Uh, I did youth ministry for most of the time. Uh, I've been a part of the church. And every year, I'd see the year 12 students. Some of them would study hard. Most of them wouldn't. Um, But when it came time for the HSC results, or the ATAR, I think it's called an ATAR now, when the ATAR results would get released, I'd see them racked with anxiety in the weeks leading up to that big day. Um, Because no matter how hard they studied, even if you put in like as much effort as you can, there's no real guarantee uh, that you'll get the result that you want. Not just that, when it came to relationships, because that's the other thing you deal with when you're a a youth pastor. It's like everyone supposedly falls in love and they tell you, I think I've met the one and you're like, got to try and convince them that. You have no idea what love is. But I'd say to them, look, one day you will meet that person that you think is the one. You finish high school and you're no longer under the the condemning stare of Pastor Jay every week. And you do meet someone that you think is the one. But you know what? There's no guarantees. You might be totally head over heels over this person, but there's no guarantee that this person is going to love you back or reciprocate those same affections towards you. There's no guarantees. And even when you go through uni and you graduate and you get a job and you think, okay, I've got a job now. I have stability, financial stability in my life. Again, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantee that your career is going to progress successfully through that company. And even if you don't care about that that, that career progression, there's no guarantee you're going to have that job for the rest of your life. For those who exercise and eat well, there's a lot of buff guys, ripped guys, and just like people from other, my my old church actually made comments that physically the guys at FLM seem much more like stronger and bigger than the guys at SYNC. And I know a lot of you guys are into fitness, but no matter how hard you train, no matter how many protein shakes you have, no matter... How much you measure your macros and you weigh out your carbs and your protein and how well you eat. There's no guarantee that you're going to keep that six pack. I went through that process. That six pack, once I hit my 30s, disappeared very, very quickly. No guarantees. You're all going to grow old. And there's no guarantees in life, except for a few. There are a lot of things in life out of our control. And when you think about it, it's crazy how we're willing to put all our eggs in a basket that is out of our control. Because there are things in life for which there is a guarantee. For example, as time passes, all people age like I don't know if I I don't know if I look old to you. Like there was a point in my life where people are like, oh, you look so young for your age. And then now it's like, how old are you? 37? Oh yeah, yeah, you, you look 37. I was like, what? All people age. As time passes, your body starts to break down. And it's funny because you know, as a people, we 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 seem to be obsessed with trying to slow down hide the aging process, and ignoring the fact that there's going to come a time when all people are going to be six feet under. Everyone's going to die at some stage. You know, prior to getting married, uh, one of the things I think that horrified my wife was that I didn't I didn't use face wash. I was going to say I didn't know about face wash, but I did not know about face wash, but I, th- I thought face wash and lotion was something that women use, and I just used a bar of soap for everything. Um, and my wife was horrified, and now my wife makes me use face wash and lotion, and, you know, before we get ready for bed, my wife's like, come over here and she'll, like, squirt all this cream on my face, and I don't know. And, like, the, the, I, I get the intention is to improve the quality of my skin, to not get wrinkles, and to slow down the aging process, to have cream for your hands so your hands don't grow old, and, you know, when you, when you get white hair, people now, I've been getting more white hair, but people dye their hair. There's Botox injections to avoid wrinkles. You get gym memberships to look physically younger. And I'm not saying they're, they're, they're bad things, except for the Botox. I don't, I don't think Botox is very good for you. Uh, but it's important to be healthy, isn't it? And the most important muscle, as you grow older, is your heart. There's nothing wrong with this. But humanity still, despite all of this, having no guarantees, is still willing to ignore the one guarantee that we do have in life, that there's going to come a point in time when we're going to breathe our final breath, our heart is going to beat for the last time, and no matter how youthful or how physically strong we are right now, we're all going to die. We can try to slow down the aging process as much as possible. But death is always going to come. And more than death, the judgment of God is going to come for all people, for all men, all women, all boys, and all girls. There are no guarantees in life except for the fact that one day we're all going to die and one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. This is the reality. The two guarantees we have in life. And so the Apostle John, aware of this, in verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. The Apostle John implores the church, because he loves the church. And in his old age, he implores the church. He says to them, Abide in Jesus because he knows there's, there's not many things that are guaranteed in life, and so he's pleading with the church, almost like as if like this is my last golden nugget of advice I'm going to give you guys before I die. He's saying to them, "Look, there's no guarantees in life. There are two things, however, we can be certain of. One is that we're going to die." The other is that you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so in light of this, he's imploring and begging them, abide in Christ. Or it's another way of saying, invest everything into Jesus. It was John's word to the church back then. And it's John and God's word to the church today as well. Because one day we are all going to see him. Either we die first and go to him, or he's going to come to us. But either way, that is the guarantee that we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the Apostle John is telling them, given that this is the only thing we can be sure of, you have to abide in him. If this is the only thing that we can be sure of, the only logical conclusion, the only intelligent thing that we can do is to invest our life into the king and his kingdom. You know, when I look back, I'm 37 now, and I look back, like once, most of you guys I think are in your 20s, uh, you're going to find that your 20s go by very quickly. Once you hit your 30s, you're going to look back and be like, I don't even remember what I did in my 20s, and apparently it gets even faster from there. But I remember when I look back to my early 20s, I don't remember a lot of what I did in my 20s, but I do remember what I desired when I was in my 20s. Um, I'm sure you can all tell I wasn't the most popular guy. Uh, I wasn't popular with the ladies when I was in my 20s. Um, I'll, I'm not tall. I'm not dark. I don't think I'm handsome. My wife, actually, you yeah, I don't make my wife gag, I told you that. But, you know, your mum tells you, oh, you're the most handsome boy. But it's like, that's what your mum tells you. But I wasn't that guy. Like, I wasn't the it guy when I was in my 20s. Like, girls didn't look at me and be like, wow, my dream guy. A short, slightly overweight Korean guy that wants to go into ministry and not earn much money at all. Like, that's not the guy that girls dream of dating. So it wasn't very popular at all when I was younger. I did, however, have a friend that was popular. Uh, All the girls loved him. Like This was the it guy. And even as a guy, I'd look at him like, wow, He's, objectively speaking, a good-looking guy. He had a nice car, nice house, came from a nice family, wore very nice clothes, and he was just good-looking. Like, tall, broad shoulders, good body, dressed like just You know those guys that's like, no matter what they wear, like, I look at, my wife says, please, like, I said, what if I wear a polo top and not a suit to church on Sundays? My wife says, no, the only thing that you sort of look okay in is a suit. You're kind of... You look like you're from the western suburbs if you don't wear a suit. Um, But this is one of those guys that would wear anything and he would look good. All people were drawn to this guy because he had charisma as well. Spoke well, he could draw a crowd. Girls were drawn to him. Like I said, I had the opposite effect. If girls were drawn to him, girls were drawn away from me. Um, But I remember deep down, I would look at this guy and he was a lovely guy. Like, Don't get me wrong, he wasn't like snobby or anything. He was a lovely guy. But I remember I used to look at him and I was so envious. I wanted so badly, just wonder what it's like even to just live a day in this guy's shoes. To know what it's like to be 180 eighty centimetre, like 15 centimetres taller than I am, that like away, far away from the ground than I am now. And, you know, obviously I can't do anything about my height. Biologically, it's impossible for me to have a second growth spurt. Uh, Not much I can do about my face. This is the lot that God's given me. But I remember I wanted that home. He lived in a nice neighborhood. I wanted to know what it was like to drive around in his car, to look good no matter what you wore. But then I became a Christian at 21. And after I became a Christian, I looked at all these things that I'd obsessed over, things I didn't have that I wanted to have. And I started to think, in light of the guarantees that we do have in life, that death is coming and Christ is coming, all these worldly desires started to look stupid. I'm not saying it was wrong. Nothing wrong with wanting a nice car and a nice home. But to make that the primary obsession above all other things in life, I remember I started to look towards that, and it seemed so stupid and so pointless. I didn't even like cars. I realized I wanted a nice car so that girls would look and be like, wow, he's got a nice car. And so after my conversion, I started to think more About the two guarantees that we have in life. More and more, that death is coming and Christ is coming. That either he will come to me after I, or rather, he will come to me before I die, or I will go to him after I die. And so, as I started thinking about these things, I began wondering if I stood before the judgment seat of Christ. What would I have to show of my life? Like at that point, when I was in my early 20s, when that was my primary obsession, what would I have to show? And I remember I started feeling ashamed. I thought, you know what? If I showed God that my primary obsession in life, if I died in my 20s, was to be this chick magnet that my friend was. I thought, what a shameful position to be in. That God, through the gospel, had extended to me the gift of eternal life, citizenship in his kingdom, an eternal purpose to be a servant in building his kingdom, union with the risen king, second person of the Trinity, that I get to be in communion with him, and yet above all these things that Christ had given me, I treasured being a chick magnet, having a nice car, valuing temporal things of the world above the eternal king himself. The Apostle John in today's passage says that the only way we're going to have any confidence The only way we're not going to shrink away in shame from the king as we approach the judgment seat on that day is if we abide in him. If we live by faith in him. If we live our lives kingdom-centered, growing in him. That's the only way. That has to be the primary purpose, according to the Apostle John. Now, I have a confession to make. A lot of confessions today. And it is kind of embarrassing as a pastor, as your pastor, but I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not spiritually. Uh, you guys met Pastor Alvin a few weeks ago, preached twice. He's my best friend. Uh, we've been friends for many years, and I remember. The first day we met, actually not the second day, I didn't want to meet, I didn't want to be friends with him the first day we met because I thought he was weird, but after that we became very close friends and we became very excited that we met each other because we shared many similarities. We were both Korean Australians, uh, we were both reformed conservatives, we both listened to preachers that no one, we knew that most people hadn't heard of and it was just crazy that we both knew the preachers that we both liked Uh, and we both loved to pray. Uh, we'd go to Maru every Friday, and we'd go with the intention, let's pray from Friday all the way to Saturday, and then we'd fall asleep like in like within half an hour of getting there. Not once did we manage to pray from Friday to Saturday, but we'd fall asleep. Friday night would be like sleep night at Maru. But despite of all, all of this, we, we we I found that time very special because we shared our heart. And a desire for the same thing. We both wanted to see God breathe life into our generation. We wanted to see God bring revival. We, was like, we were sick of just reading about revival from like 200 years ago, like the Great Welsh Revival, the Great Awakening in America. Like, we didn't want to just read about this and be like, wow. But we wanted to be able to pray and call upon the power of God and just witness this amazing thing that our 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 children and our grandchildren will be able to one day read about that their forefathers prayed and God brought revival because we lived in anticipation back then of the guarantee that i mentioned that one day we're going to die and one day we're going to see Christ and so i remember back then we invested so much of our lives into him into the king in his kingdom. We started prayer meetings that no one came to. Uh, we borrowed, I don't know if you guys know, the Russian club in Strathfield, but we rented out the bottom floor of the Russian club, and we thought, if we start this, God will bring people. God brought no one to those prayer meetings. It was just me and him for like six months, and then we couldn't afford to rent it anymore. We started prayer meetings. i uh, sorry, we, we started Bible studies, rather, at cafes. We'd um, there was a flower cafe in Lidcombe back then, and we, we rented out the back room, the giant table. we tell the owners we want the, we want the big table because we know God's going to bring people. No, God brought no one to those. Um, so it was just me, him, usually like one or two other people on a table that seated like 16. Um, we'd go to homeless shelters and tell drug addicts, drunks, and homeless people that there was a God out there that was madly in love with them and desired to be with them, that desired to heal and restore their life. And then afterwards, Alvin would have the opportunity to go to Bolivia on missions. And he he was so obsessed, he taught himself how to speak Spanish. Back then, like before that, he wanted to go to China on missions, so he taught himself how to speak Chinese, and then he was Spanish. Um, For me, I ended up in Indonesia, um, sharing the gospel with Muslims. We both had this obsession back then to live completely for Christ. And then COVID lockdown happened. And it it hit everyone pretty hard, I think. But I remember after the lockdowns ended, Maru, the house of prayer, they opened themselves up to anyone that wanted to come back. Like they, they shut down Oswald. But they made an announcement that we're opening up again. Anyone that wants to come to pray can pray. And Alvin called me straight away when he found out. He said, we need to go pray. And this is where, you know, this is, this is the confession part. Uh, we went back and we went to Maru and we prayed in the same building that we prayed in years prior. Uh, but it didn't feel the same. It was the same God that we were praying to, the same building that we were praying in, the same Bible that we were meditating on before we began praying. But there was a sense in which the fire and passion that we had in our hearts years ago didn't feel anywhere near as strong as it did back then. Something fell off. It's almost like when you take, I don't know, most of you guys don't wear glasses, but for those of you who wear glasses, you know, if at the end of the day when you're tired and you take your glasses off, everything kind of goes out of focus. That was kind of how it felt like when we reflected on our heart, our heart for the kingdom. It was still there. It was still kingdom-centered, but it just was like it was out of focus. And the reason I make this confession is because when we both recognized that this was the spiritual state we were in, we both spoke to other people, other pastors, other ministry staff, I spoke to a few elders in the church I was serving in at the time. Alvin did as well. And we got the same response. And that response was, it's normal. It's normal. People would say, you know what, it's okay. Don't be so hard on yourself, Jay. You're getting older. This is normal. You've got more responsibilities now. You're married. You're going to start planning on having kids. You've got a family to take care of. This is normal. And I know they said these things with good intentions. They wanted me to, you know, not beat myself up over it. But you know what? I think looking back now, I don't think it is normal. And I don't think it's right to accept it as normal. Because the Apostle John in verse 29 of today's passage says... If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The Apostle John, this same Apostle John, is renowned for recording that encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And we learn from the Apostle John that true Bible-believing Christians are those that have been born again. And in today's passage, John explains that those who have been born again will practice righteousness just like our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're born again, you start with baby steps when we follow Jesus. But as you start with baby steps, you don't stay there, but you kind of enter into this sanctification process where you become more and more like Christ. You grow up more and more. You mature more and more. And the reality is that as you grow older spiritually, you're meant to resemble Christ more and more, spiritually. Now, one of the things I love about FLM, um, I never used to be a baby person. Maybe I'm getting a bit clucky as I get older. Um, but we're, we're blessed with so many parents that have had newborn babies or have babies on the way. Uh, my wife loves babies. Like, she, like every time she sees a baby at church, she's like, I have to hold that baby before I go home. Um, God willing, we'll have our own baby one day. My wife, and I don't think it's just my wife, when she looks at a baby and she looks at the parents, she makes comments on the way home. She's like, you know, this baby has his mother's nose and his father's eyes and, it, yeah, it's just the baby's beautiful because he's gotten the best features of both, you know, she, she'll make comments like that. Uh, I never noticed stuff like that. To me, like a baby just looks like a baby. I don't look at a baby's nose and be like, yeah, his father, father's nose. Um, but I do notice that as babies grow, they do start to physically resemble at least one of their parents. And if not physically resemble them, I do notice that their character starts to be shaped by the character of their parents. I remember when I was a teenager, my mom, when she'd get really annoyed at me if I do something or if I was like stubborn, she'd say, You're just like your dad. For children, the resemblance starts to grow the older you get. And spiritually, it's meant to be the same in our walk with Christ. I appreciate the consoling advice from the elders and other pastors and the friends when they said to me, you know what, this is normal. When they said to me, you know, it's okay not to be as fiery and passionate as what you once were. But if you think about it, in a biblical context, it doesn't make sense. Because if you look at it in the biblical context, it's like they're saying, it's okay to look less like Christ as you get older. That's what it translates to. And if you think about it like that, that's actually a crazy thing to say. Because in the context of eternity, it's meant to be the opposite, isn't it? Remember I said earlier, I mentioned that there's only two guarantees in life. Death is coming and Christ is coming. And as we grow older, that day is drawing closer and closer and closer. I've shared in the past that I'm 37 now. In my dad's family, on average, the men don't live past 70. 50% of my life, if that's a stat to go by, is already gone. My dad's the only one that's lived past 70. If, if that's the case, Shouldn't we be living with a greater sense of urgency as we grow older? Shouldn't our desire for the king and his kingdom be growing from day to day as we get older? Shouldn't our desperation to bring one more person into the kingdom of God be growing as we get older? As the remainder of our life starts to become shorter and shorter on this side of eternity, Shouldn't our desire for him be growing exponentially as our time is running out? I shared this confession about Alvin and I earlier. And the reason I shared it uh, isn't just to tell you a bit about myself and my struggles, but because I know this isn't a problem just limited to me. We're all descendants of Adam. We share similar struggles, even if you're in ministry it's a problem that affects all people not just older people but younger people as well I remember every church I serve at I I would ask the younger people because I was like they're full of energy to serve and they would say I'm too busy now I've got too many things going on in my life now I'll do it when I get older and I'm less busy um, everyone that gets older knows that life doesn't become less busy, it gets busier the older you get. But then I'd ask them when they're older, and they would say, I'm too old now, you should get someone younger. But irrespective of age, whether you're older or younger, again, those two guarantees remain. Death is coming, and Christ is coming. And the Apostle John implores the church, and implores to us today in light of this, to invest your life into Christ. Abide in Him. Make this the primary obsession, not a secondary obsession. Don't make the world your primary obsession and Christ and the things of eternity secondary, but make Christ the primary obsession. We're a people different to the world because we're born of God. And the instruction in verse 28, to abide in Him is an instruction not just to place our faith in Jesus and then that's it, but to live for Him, to grow in Him, just like a child grows to resemble his parents, to make our focus to grow from day to day, resembling more and more of Christ. This means waking up each day and going to bed each day with a growing sense of urgency, to live a life that is more kingdom-centered, to live a life more and more invested in Him. I want to end today's sermon uh, by sharing, uh, this isn't a confession, this is more like a testimony of someone I met when I was younger. I have this map. It's Nowadays, people don't use paper maps. You have your GPS. But back in the day, they had these things called street directories. It's like a giant book and it'd have like every page would be a section of Sydney. And if you wanted to get from one place to another, you'd have to have someone in the passenger seat like holding and turning the book, turn left here. And if you couldn't afford that, and if you were going cross country, they had these maps. I don't want to open it up because I don't want to rip it, but you can have a look after if you want. And it was a map of New South Wales. And this map is one of my most prized possessions in a spiritual sense. When I first entered into ministry at the age of 25, became a Christian at 21, Around 25 I entered into ministry, uh, I met this much older Korean man. He was an old man, like an older man. Someone you'd look at, like, that's an old man. Uh, he was an elder in the church and he was in charge of Aboriginal missions. And that's how I came to know a lot of you guys because he'd organise Aboriginal mission trips together with Sydney Full Gospel and we'd send a combined mission mission team uh, using our youth students and some pastors. Um, and in preparation for those mission trips, I'd partner with him. We'd go to all different parts of New South Wales. We'd drive like eight hours into the bush. Uh, and then we'd go on the mission trips and we'd go preaching from town to town. This, this guy was like bold. Like he had no fear, nothing, was no, never seemed to get anxious. We'd go into a town and he'd just pull out a boom box and a mic and he'd just hand it to me. He's like, Jay, start preaching. <laughs> what? Have you told them that we're preaching? No, just start preaching. Let's let's see what happens. He was bold, but he gave me this map. He took me out to coffee one day, and he pulled this map out. And in this map, actually, maybe I will open it up now. I'll open a section of it. In this map, you'll see that there's red circles on this map. And he shared with me what these red circles meant he pointed at these circles and he told me about when he came to faith in Christ. He came to faith in Christ very late, after he'd retired. He told me he went to a missions conference. It was an evangelistic missions conference. Someone preached the gospel. He got saved. And then he turned to his circle of friends that he'd come to this conference with and they made a pact together. They bought the same map, all of them, and they circled Different towns. Towns that they claimed for themselves. I will claim this territory. And these are the cities I'm going to take the gospel to. You take the rest of Australia. And they divided Australia amongst themselves. They each got into their cars. Some of them would drive to the airport and rent a car if they were in another state. But this guy... Drove nine hours all around the bush in New South Wales. He started it by himself. He packed an icebox with Korean barbecue meat and a barbecue, and he'd go into the bush and he'd start cooking. And Aboriginals would come out wondering, what's this amazing smell? They'd never had the opportunity of having Korean barbecue, and he'd share a meal with them. Say, this is free. And he'd have a chat with them, and in his broken English, he would share the gospel with them. This is how, you know, for those of you that go on like missions into Walgart and like, that, that's held within Sydney Gospel, this is how it started at the church I was in. And I remember as he shared this with me, I, I, I was blown away. It's like, how on earth did... You can't even speak English. How on earth did you accomplish this? And he said to me, Jay, this, this has got nothing to do with age. It's got nothing to do with language barriers. I am a Christian. Of course I can do this. And then he said, I'm a Korean as well, because it's like older Korean men are patriotic. So, I'm Christian and I'm Korean. There is nothing we can't do. And he said to me, Jay, remember, you're Christian and you're Korean as well. You can do anything, and to this day, I remember I had nothing but admiration for this man. Because when I look at this man's life, a lot of people thought he was crazy. Like I remember the other elders at the church was like, "He's too, too bold. He's too reckless. No planning. Just goes into the bush. Who does? Who does that?" But I admired this guy. I admired this guy to death. Because in his old age, he recognized that there's only two guarantees in life. That death is coming and Christ is coming. And As he was getting older, he didn't take his foot off the gas, but he saw it as a reason. Because death is coming and Christ is coming. To press the pedal, the accelerator in his life, even harder. At no point should we ever try to slow down when it comes to the things of eternity. We can never settle for passion and fire in our hearts dying down. Never listen to those words, it's normal, and say, "Ah, oh, yeah, it happens, to, it happens to the best of us. But we need to keep pressing on and living in boldness. As the Apostle John says, abiding in him. And my prayer is that for all of us that we continue living in accordance with what John says, that we would live lives abiding in him. That as we grow older, we wouldn't settle for just taking our foot off the gas, thinking as we get older, we don't need to live as recklessly. But to understand that as we get older, the logical reaction is that we grow from day to day as we get older, looking more like the king, living more for his kingdom, and understanding that the things of eternity should always be our primary obsession. Not the secondary. Not something extra that you add on top of your life so that you feel a little bit more spiritual. But that this is everything. Everything else, I'm not saying it's not important, but everything else should be secondary if eternity, as described in Scripture, is a real thing. That's my hope for FLM. In a short term, I want to create a culture of discipleship. I want us to become more biblically literate. But these are just a means to an end. These are means so that we can be strengthened spiritually, so that we can live as more effective servants in his kingdom spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, life can become very busy and there's so many things in our life that can impact us emotionally, mentally, physically. I shared earlier that even the COVID lockdowns, you know, many of us came out of that not really the same as when we went in. But Lord, we pray for FLM, not just for the congregants, but for the VT and for myself, that we would be a people that live eternity conscious all the days of our lives. Understanding that whilst there might be no guarantees in life, we do have two guarantees. That death is coming and Christ is coming. To understand that in light of these two certainties, that the only logical way to respond is to live a life abiding in him. And so Lord, I pray that as this community grows within FLM, that we would be a community that doesn't become content by telling each other that a reduction in passion is normal but that we would spur each other on to grow from day to day to look like Christ to grow in service of his kingdom and to grow in our desire to make the things of eternity the primary obsession in our life and we ask this in Jesus name Amen